Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor David Eldridge. As you've already heard, today is the first Sunday of Advent, Advents of four weeks leading up to Christmas, where we prepare our hearts for the arrival of Jesus. And we look in three different directions. We look back. Uh, to Jesus' first coming, Bethlehem, Jesus, baby in a manger. We're all pretty uh, aware of that. We look forward to Jesus' second coming. You see that in Revelation when he'll come on a white horse, going to, the end of history, defeat all of God's enemies, make all things right and new. And we also want to be aware of the fact that Jesus wants to come to us now through the Holy Spirit. Regardless of where we are in our relationship with him, He wants to come into our lives at a greater and deeper and richer level, and we want to be aware of that over the course of the next four weeks. Um, If you're on our email list, you got an email from Kim this morning. It's got everything that we're doing as a church over the next month. If you're not on that list and you want to be, you can email Kim, kim at stonebridgemarietta.org. That list is not meant to overwhelm you. It's certainly not a list of, of obligations and expectations. All we're trying to do is create... Uh, handholds and opportunities to help you and to help us prepare. We have lots of cultural cues that prepare us for the coming of Santa Claus. We don't have as many that prepare us for the coming of Jesus. And so as a church, we're wanting to help one another focus and stay focused over the course of the next uh, 28 days or so. So you can see those things in that uh, email, anything you want to participate in, kids, students, or adults, Please do so. Two quick things I want to highlight. One, uh, every year we do a Christmas Eve offering, and we give away 100% of that. Uh, So um, we're going to do that again this year. Three places where we're giving. One, we've got 19 uh, missionary partners. These are people who uh, we're connected with as a church. Most of them came out of our church. They're local and they're international, and we like to give them a Christmas gift. Uh, And so we will do that. Park Street Elementary School is our partner in education. We will give them a gift. And then also, we're going to try to do some things for Wellstar uh, up the street here. We're going to feed their night staff. I think it's 2,000 people on December 8th. That was the date that they gave us. Uh, and all, we can't, you can't cook. You can't show up. All we can do is cater the food for them. That's what they ask. And so we're going to do that on December 8th. If you want to write a note to the staff, and again, that's everybody who works there. That's not just the medical staff. Everyone who's on the night shift, we're going to feed. And if you want to write them a note, if you could have it here by next Sunday, we'll make sure they get those notes. We're uh, p- playing phone tag with the parking guy. We're trying to uh, create a, a deal where we can pay for parking for people who are going to have to visit their family on Christmas Day. But we're still trying to, we're still trying to work out exactly what that looks like. And we're also playing phone tag with DFACs. We're trying to uh, feed their staff as well sometime over this month. So those are the things that we're looking at doing. Anything that you give for Christmas Eve will go to those causes. If you'll be here on Christmas Eve, you'll have a chance to give. If you're not, uh, you can give either online. There's a drop down. It says Christmas Eve or in your check. You can just write that on the memo line. And speaking of Christmas Eve, so we've not done a regular Christmas Eve here before. Last year was COVID, really different. We're going to try to do three services, and we're asking you to register. Please do that. I know that can be a pain. Please register, because we just don't know how many people to expect, and we don't want you to show up and there not be a seat. 
So we'll have a service at 3 and a service at 4.30 that are family-friendly. That's a kid, kind of family-oriented services. There's child care for zero through uh, five-year-olds during those services. Please register everybody in your family that's coming. And then we'll have another service at 7 that's more, um, less kid-friendly. It's, uh, <laughs> that's the one I go, I go to. So um, we'll take communion. And uh, again, you're, you're just register. If we fill up those two family services, then we'll add another one at 1.30. If we fill up that uh, communion service, we'll add another one at 8.30 or 9. So please do register. Uh, we just want to make sure we've got enough room for everybody. Okay, enough announcements. Advent. Again, four weeks leading up to Christmas, we're preparing for the arrival of Jesus. When we think about Christmas and Jesus, most of us, we, again, we tend to look back Little baby Jesus in a manger, and that's good and right and true. He was born as a baby just like all of us are. It's an incredibly profound mystery, God becoming a man. We also want to recognize that Jesus was born the Messiah, the, the, the chosen one, the anointed one, the one sent by God to deliver his people from their enemies and to make all things right. The Bible, the Old Testament, that it's full of prophecies or predictions about the Messiah, doesn't say specifically this is going to be his name, but it, it describes him. Some of those prophecies are really general, born of a woman. We all qualify. You know, some are much more specific, born in Bethlehem. I don't think any of us qualify. And so uh, what, we, what we're going to try to do over the next few weeks is we're going to look at one of these prophecies, one of these messianic prophecies, and we're going to dive a little bit deeper into what it says about who the Messiah would be. Again, hindsight, we know that's Jesus. And what his rule, what his reign would look like. So this is Isaiah 11. You've probably heard this passage before. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, of counsel and of might, of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Today we're going to look just at that first verse. Uh, a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. From the root a branch will bear fruit. And the only thing I want you to keep in mind is that God is faithful. If you don't remember anything else, you can remember those three words this morning. God is faithful. We just sang that. As we begin Advent, keeping that in mind as the bedrock for us. That's the foundation for us as we move forward through this season is to remember that God is faithful. These Messianic prophecies, and depending on how you count, there could be as many as, as some people count 365, which is honestly a bit of a stretch. There's 48 that are solid Messianic prophecies. But for many of us, those are really, they're, they're kind of like sweet words at this point. They're written in calligraphy on Christmas cards, and we pass them around. And if you're, you know, you're going to put something on a Christmas card, it might as well be a Bible verse, but there's more to those words than that. The original audience, they weren't sweet words to them. They were life. They were life preservers to people who were drowning. Three of the most well-known Messianic prophecies occur within five chapters in Isaiah, Isaiah 7 through Isaiah 12. And most people see that as a, as a unit of material. And the background is a war that you've never heard of. It's called the Syro-Ephraimite War that occurred from 734 to 732 B.C. 
So the background for that war is the nation of Assyria. They're the baddest guy on the block during this time. They're just mowing through the region. They're defeating every city in their path. They're taking territory and they're destroying nations. That's what they're doing. And so in light of that, these two other nations, Syria, Syro, and Ephraim. So this gets really confusing. Remember after Solomon, the nation of Israel was split into two. The northern ten tribes became the northern kingdom. The two southern tribes became the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was called Ephraim. The southern kingdom was called Judah. They're all God's people. They're all Israel. But that word Israel is used to, de to describe the entire nation, to, to describe the northern kingdom, and to describe the southern kingdom. So it gets really confusing when you see the word Israel in the Bible. Who exactly is being referred to? So the Syro-Ephraimite war, that's the Syrians and Ephraim, the northern kingdom of Israel, have formed an alliance to fight the Assyrians. So they're the big bully, and these two nations have decided we want to fight them. And what they're trying to do is get Judah to help. So Syria and Ephraim are trying to get Judah to help them stand up to the Assyrians. That sounds noble, but it's not. But that's what they're trying to do. They've been pressuring Judah. Judah's been resisting. Judah has a new king. His name is Ahaz. He's young. He takes over at 16 years old. He's awful. No, he takes over at 20. Still young. He takes over at 20 years old, and he's a wicked, wicked man. And so if you're just a regular Jew living during the, 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 in the southern kingdom, 734, 733, 732 B.C., you're not in a great spot. This is what you're thinking. So we've got, on one hand, the Assyrians, and they're, they're terrorists in the literal sense of the word. They're, they, they don't just have the strongest army in the region. They also are employing psychological warfare. They capture troops and skin them alive in order to intimidate anybody who wants to fight against them. They kill troops, and they cut off their heads, and they pile up the skulls in a big pyramid next to the cities they're about to attack to say, here's what's going to happen to anybody who wants to stand against us. They are literally terrorists. So you've got an option. Those guys, they're going to come at you. Your other option is the, the, the Syrians and the Ephraimites, who, again, they're technically they're your brothers. They're, they're Jewish people as well, but they're godless. They've never had a righteous king. They've had 220-something years of godlessness. Syria is a godless nation. What they want to do is they want to get rid of your king, who is a bum, but they want to get rid of him anyway and replace him with someone who is then going to lead you into war against these guys, the Assyrians. And so you fought with the Assyrians and the Ephraimites before, and you lost bad. They killed 120,000 of your troops. They took 200,000 of your women and your children captive. So those are your options. You're just a regular man, a regular woman trying to follow God, raise your family, be faithful in Judah in 734 B.C. You've got this terrorist group, the Assyrians, that nobody can stop. These two godless nations, Syria and Ephraim, who are trying to remove your king, who is wicked, but he is your king, to get you to fight against them. You tried to stand up to these guys once and they kicked your tail. And the guy who's making the decision for you is this 20-year-old, man, here's, what, here's how he's described in 2 Kings. No good. Ahaz, the son of Jotham, Judah, of Judah, began to reign. He was 20 years old when he became king. He reigned for 16 years. Unlike David, his father, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God. 
He followed the ways of the kings of Israel, that's bad, and he sacrificed his son in the fire, engaging in the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He offered sacrifices and burned incense at the high places on the hilltops and under every spreading tree. He's an idolater. That's the guy making the decision for you and you don't get a vote. Whatever he decides, that's going to be your fate. If you're living in that circumstance, stress level's way up here. Lots of chaos, lots of consternation, lots of distress. Assyria on one side, Syria and Ephraim on the other, and the fulcrum, the decision maker, is this wicked young king named Ahaz. Not a good spot for you. God sends Isaiah, a prophet, to give his perspective on what's going on. Again, just in this handful of chapters, some of the most well-known messianic prophecies Isaiah 7, 14. This is a personal sign to Ahaz, so we're not going to spend any time on it. But it was later applied to Jesus. The young woman or the virgin, she will conceive and give birth and have a son and she'll name him Emmanuel, God with us. That was a personal sign to Ahaz to say, you can trust God. Of course he didn't, but that, was, that sign was given to him. Probably the most well-known Messianic prophecy. That first song that Autumn sang from Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. To us, a a son is born, a child will be given. He'll be called, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government. It will know no end. He'll sit on the throne of David. He'll establish it with righteousness and with justice. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So think about this. You're a regular man, a regular woman living in Judah in 734 B.C. Assyria on one side, Syria and Ephraim on the other. Ahaz is your decision maker. And to hear, Prince of Peace, he's coming. It's not sweet. It's life. Life. For you. Our passage. Ahaz is a son of David. He's a legitimate king, even though he's wicked. Second Samuel 7, God made a commitment, a covenant, a promise to David. There's always going to be a descendant of yours upon the throne of Israel. It's been 225, 250 years, and there's always been someone from the family of David on the throne of Judah. Always. Some of them have been wicked, some of them have been righteous, but they've always been descended from David. That is a royal family. Isaiah 11.1, 1, our passage. From the stump of Jesse, that's David's dad. From that royal family, there'll be a shoot. From the roots, a righteous branch or a branch will bear fruit. How encouraging is that for you? And this is the kind of king he's going to be. The Spirit of God will rest upon him. Spirit of, the spirit of counsel, spirit of might, spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, spirit of knowledge and the fear of God. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. That is, he will actually revere God as opposed to the guy who's the king right now. How encouraging is that for you? Within 30, 35 years, you can check a lot of boxes off of just Isaiah 11.1. 1. Ahaz, at this point, he he makes some bad decisions, but God redeems even those wicked decisions. Within two years, Syria and Ephraim have both been 
knocked out by the Assyrians. So this, this, these two nations that say, we're coming after you, and we're going to replace your king with our guy. A descendant of David, he's not going to sit on the throne anymore. We're putting our guy there, the guy who'll do what we want. Within two years, that threat's gone. The Assyrians have, have they've destroyed both Syria, and they've, they're on, in the process of destroying Ephraim. Within 15 years, Hezekiah, Ahaz's son, has taken over, and he's about as far from his dad as you can get. The exact opposite in many ways. This is how he's described. He was 25 when he became king. He reigned for 29 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made for up to that time the Israelites have burned incense to it. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the, all the kings of Judah, either before him or after. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. From watchtower to fortified city, he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory. Much of what Ahaz ruined in his 16 years, Hezekiah reversed during his tenure, 25 whatever years that was. There's a new king coming within 15 years. He's risen to power. 701 B.C., one of the most dramatic deliverances in all the history of God's people. Hezekiah is the king. The Assyrians have now turned their sights on Judah. Nobody has been able to, nobody stopped them. Nobody. And now they've gathered around Jerusalem. And they say, we're coming to get you. And again, they do their thing. It's not just they have the strongest army. They also engage in this psychological warfare. And so they've got guys who are yelling at the city, calling out to the city and saying, listen, don't listen to Hezekiah. He's going to tell you you can trust your gods. You can't. And they start listing all the other nations that trusted all their gods that have all been destroyed. And they say, it's not going to work. We're coming after you. Your only hope is to surrender to us. Hezekiah calls for a fast. He prays. And that night, the angel of the Lord moves to the Assyrian camp. 185,000 people are killed. And they leave. They leave. They recognize they, they, they can't do anything against the God of Judah. An amazing story. You can read about it in Isaiah and in 2 Kings. Within 30, 35 years, this prophecy in so many ways has been fulfilled. There's, there, 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 is a, there continues to be a descendant of David on the throne. He's a way better king than Ahaz. The threats, the Assyrians, the Syrians, the Ephraimites, they've all been taken care of. God has protected his people. He's honored his covenant. He's faithful. Again, those words, they're not just sweet words. They're life for people who in that moment are looking around and going, we don't, we don't have any good options. There, when we, don't, we honestly, we don't even know what to hope for. We've got a crummy leader and we've got crummy options. Barring a miracle, which is what they got. And I'm wondering how many of you are in the same spot? How many of you this morning would say, I got crummy options? Left is bad and right's bad. 
I got a moron making decisions that are going to, and they impact me. I don't have any say-so in what he or she's going to do. You need intervention. You need God to work. Can you remember this Advent that he's faithful? Hope, confident expectation of a better future, rooted in the conviction that God keeps his promises. If God's not faithful, we don't have anything to hope for. All we have at that point is wishful thinking. But a confident expectation of a better future is is grounded, it's rooted in the conviction that God keeps his promises. He is a rock. He is trustworthy. Whether it's two years, whether it's 15 years, whether it's 30-something years, whether it's more, we can trust him to do what he's going to say, to do what he said he's going to do. This is what I want you to do. This really, the, the whole thing this morning is geared towards this one response. At the end of each row, there's a basket, and in those baskets are Christmas gift tags, and I want everybody to take one. Everybody takes a tag. This is your first time here, and you're never coming back. Grab a tag anyway. Everybody gets one. If you're online, you can email this stuff. You can email this to Kim. I want you to write two things on the tag. First, I want you to write down the name of somebody that you love, who you would say they need Jesus and that you're going to commit to praying for between now and Christmas Day. So you just write down their first name. Somebody that you love who needs Jesus, and you writing their name down, that's your commitment to pray for them between now and Christmas. And then also on that tag, I want you to write down an area in your life in this around hope. And there's two groups of people. Some of you, you feel like one of those guys in Judah in 733. There's no hope. It's bad all the way around. And I want you to write down whatever that area is, that area where where hope is fading in your life. And there are others of you, you are fervently hoping for something. You're in a very different spot. You're expectant. You're excited. And I want you to write that area down. So to me, you're in one of those two camps. Either your hope is fading, you write that down. Your hope is fervent, you write that down. And what we're going to do is pray. And we're going to pray for the things on those gift tags. Uh, we pray here corporately every Tuesday morning from 6.30 to 7.30. 7 to 7.30 is corporate time. And during the month of December, this is what we pray for. Your kids, your students, adult, everyone in this church is, is going to fill out a gift tag. And we'll pray through those on Tuesday. We'd love for you to come. Anytime between 7 and 7.30, you can stay as long as you want. And we're going to ask God to do what he does, to be faithful. We don't have to know all the details, but we're going to ask God to be faithful, to reveal himself to the people whose name you wrote on that card. That you're saying, Jesus, they need to see you. They need to hear from you. They need to know you love them. We're going to pray for God to reveal himself to them in a way that they would understand. Whatever that circumstance is that you're either fervently hoping for or that you've given up on, we're going to pray for God in, in his time and in his way. To work, And we're going to pray for you without even knowing your name. You don't need to write your name on those tags. We're going to pray that every one of us, that hope would be stirred in each of us over the course of this month. God is faithful so we can have hope. We're going to close this morning with uh, communion. We'll, we've got gluten-free communion, regular bread, and then those 
little packs, whatever you're most comfortable with, you take that and break off the bread and dip it in the juice. Communion reminds us of the faithfulness of God. So there was a king on the throne of David until there wasn't. In 586, God in discipline, judgment, punishment of, of, the, of, of the nation of Judah for a, a lot of rebellion. Hezekiah's son was the most wicked king. He had a wicked dad and he had a wicked son. He was a good king kind of in the middle of that. And God punished them. Sent the Babylonians. Jerusalem got destroyed. The wall got torn down. The temple got destroyed. And the king got removed. And after 70 years, God restored the people to Jerusalem. The city was rebuilt. The temple was rebuilt. The wall was rebuilt. There was never a king on the throne again. So over the centuries, the rabbis, they started looking at these passages like Isaiah 11, like Isaiah 9. And they were saying there's something else there. This is about more than one of our good kings. Even our best king, they don't quite fit this description. They move in that direction, but they don't fit that description perfectly. None of them reigned forever. Certainly, they didn't. And so they started looking for a Messiah. And they did some math based on some, uh, some prophecies in, Daniels and around the, uh, in Daniel and around the time of Jesus. They start looking really expectantly for a Messiah. And then Jesus is born, a descendant of David. That's why those genealogies are in Matthew and in Luke. It's to prove, hey, he, he checks that box. There are lots of descendants of David. It's one of those general prophecies. But Jesus was one of them. He's the Messiah. He's the one who's the true fulfillment. He is the branch with a capital B. He's the son with a capital S. The prince of peace. Mighty God. Wonderful counselor. That's him. Communion reminds us, even if it takes 700 years, that's how long the prophecy was from, the, the gap was from Isaiah's prophecy to the birth of Jesus. 700 plus years. Even if it takes 700 years, God doesn't forget. Galatians says at just the right time, the Father sent the Son. And we're going to trust and pray that at just the right time, He's going to work in the lives written on that card, and He's going to work in the circumstances written on that gift tag as well. If you're helping with communion, you can come forward. Everybody else, if you guys wouldn't mind praying with me, Bo, you can come on back up. So bring your gift tag, drop it in the basket. There's a basket over there for you guys in the wing as well. Then take communion and go back to your seat after that and worship along with Bo. Father, we thank you that you're faithful and we confess we forget all the time. We forget. You say you're the rock. We want to know that and live in light of your trustworthiness, your dependability, your reliability, your constancy. We're fickle, and so sometimes we project that onto you. I pray you'd forgive us. I pray this month we would know you as the faithful Father, that you would remind us of your faithfulness to us as a people sending your Son. And you'd remind us of your faithfulness to us personally and individually in all the ways that you've honored your word in our lives. As we take communion, I pray that you would, Holy Spirit, stir within each one of us a growing sense of hope. Rooted in the faithfulness of the Father, we would dare to have a confident expectation of a better future. 
not trusting in getting an end of the year bonus that's going to solve all our problems, not trusting in a political figure, science, technology, whatever it is that we tend to look to, but trusting in you. God, we pray for those names that we've written down, people who are far from you, and we pray that over the course of this month that you would draw them close, that you would open their eyes to their need for a Savior, that you would make them aware of the great love that you have for them, that you would remind us often to pray for them. We pray for the softening of their hearts, that you would draw them in, for those, of the, those on those cards who we would say they're prodigals are running away, God, we pray that they would reach the end of their rope. Wherever it is that they're slopping pigs, God, we pray that they would have that thought. To come home. God, for those who have just wandered away like sheep, would you rescue them? God, we pray for these circumstances written on the cards and all of the, the, the heart involved in those circumstances. God, would you work? I pray that the testimony of our kids, of our students, of the adults in this room, everyone in this room would be able to say at just the right time, at just the right time, God did just the right thing. So would you stir hope within us today and when moving forward that grow over the course of this month as we prepare to celebrate the arrival of your son in the past. Would that give us a confidence to expect his arrival in the present and in the future? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 